Welcome to Created to Reign, a podcast of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. I am David Legates. And I'm Cal Beisner. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the history of the Cornwall Alliance. Cal, the question always comes up, why is it called the Cornwall Alliance? Well, that comes actually from a meeting that took place in the fall of 1999. Uh, it was a gathering of uh, about 35 different scholars on the, uh, the science, the economics, the public policy, and the theology and ethics of environmental stewardship, organized primarily by the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it was held at a retreat center in West Cornwall, Connecticut. So uh, Cornwall is uh, the origin of the name. How we got from meeting there to the founding of the Cornwall Alliance is another story. So what led to that meeting? Well, what led to it was that over a period of about 20 years or so, a variety of different religiously conservative, uh, not always politically conservative, but religiously conservative Jews and uh, Roman Catholics and Protestants, including evangelical Protestants, had been trying to address environmental issues. Uh, we remember the environmental movement was getting more and more popular from the 1960s onward, and the term environmentalism itself was actually coined in the early 1970s. And more and more people from religious backgrounds and motivations were wanting to address these things. And there seemed to be sort of two different different perspectives, different uh, leanings that were commonly found in those who were addressing these issues. One was a leaning more toward, okay, uh, we've got problems here in terms of environmental degradation going on. What can the government do about that? How can the government uh, direct our lives so that we're not harming the earth so much? The other leaning was to say, well, we have environmental problems. What can private persons, private institutions, companies and clubs and so on. What can they do about those problems? And you know, neither side was saying there's no room for the other side, but there was a clear difference in emphasis between them. And the difference in emphasis could readily point to different directions, different ways of trying to deal with the problem. And so some of us out in, in that latter group thought it's important that we talk about why private solutions to environmental problems need to be carefully considered and really embraced because there are some problems in many of the government solutions. So, as I said, the folks at Acton Institute organized this gathering, about 35 different scholars uh, together, just to spend three days talking with each other. That was all the purpose of the meeting was. And we did. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> we uh, we heard a few uh, small papers presented, but basically it was just sitting around a great big bunch of U-shaped chairs around a room and, and talking. And it was it was very, very stimulating, but there really wasn't a plan for anything in particular to come out of that. Afterward, though, uh, after about a week, a handful of us were just thinking, look, we really did achieve in that conversation 
some some real good agreements as to some basic principles. What if these were set down in a one or two page statement of principles? And since I'm a former journalist, a writer, I've I've written all my life practically. I got <laughs> I got pegged to draft a, a first attempt at this, and I did and sent it on to the handful of other people who were involved, and uh, they suggested some additions. Those or or uh, corrections revisions. And then we sent it to a larger group. Uh, eventually, we came up with a two-page statement of principles. And then we thought, let's let's see what kind of reaction this gets from a much larger group of people. So we, we sent it to many, many leaders in Roman Catholic, uh, Jewish, and uh, evangelical Protestant circles saying, please read this and let us know if you could embrace this, uh, if you would be willing to be listed as an endorser. And I think really to our surprise, within just a couple of months, we had over 1,500 signatures from leading people among evangelicals, for instance, which of course is, is my perspective. Uh, we had Chuck Colson of the Colson Center and Prison Fellowship Ministries. Uh, we had James Dobson. We had Dr. D. James Kennedy of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and Evangelism Explosion. Uh, but we also pretty quickly got a number of of scientists and, and economists endorsing these things. Uh, several different economists at Grove City College and Hillsdale College. And so in March of 2000, we released this to the public and we called it the Cornwall Declaration on Environmental Stewardship because it had come out of this meeting in Cornwall, you know, West Cornwall, Connecticut. And at the time we had intended to start a, a little informal, uh, I'm not sure what you would call it, a, a network, an organization, it certainly wasn't very organized, but we were going to call this the Interfaith Council on environmental stewardship. And people who embraced the Judeo-Christian, or I prefer to call it the biblical worldview and theology and ethics, and how that related to environmental issues. But that really never got off the ground. Uh, it was partly because the idea among us had been that I would kind of lead the thing. But at the time I was working on my PhD, I was teaching, I was changing from teaching at a college to teaching at a seminary, new courses that I'd never taught before. And I was raising seven kids and basically I was just way too, <laughs> too busy to do anything more. So it kind of just lay dormant for a while. But in 2005, uh, several of us, uh, I think particularly of my my dear friends, David Rothbard, uh, who went to be with the Lord a few years ago, uh, died of cancer, and Craig Rucker, both of them evangelical Christians. We got together and we said, okay, now that Cal's done with his doctorate, now that he's taught his classes at seminary over and over again, we can launch something. So we did. Again, it was very informal. Basically, it was a hobby on the side for me. We initially called it the Interfaith Stewardship Alliance, but after about a year, we discovered that there was another organization uh, with a very similar name its leaders didn't like our having that similar name. So uh, we changed in 2007 to the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. We took the Cornwall Declaration as our founding document. And uh, from that time on, we became actually a 501c3 nonprofit organization and began <laughs> rather rather clumsily trying to raise some support. And over the years, we've grown bit by bit. Now, I've been to a number of scientific meetings, and I know that we Often what happens is you spend a lot of money and nothing ever comes from it. Why do you think this meeting succeeded when others may not? Hmm. I certainly can't attribute that to any great 
skills and talents on the part of any of us. We, we have not been really professionals at this sort of thing. I just have to say, I think the Lord has blessed what we've done. We have depended almost entirely on gifts from private individuals. Many of these are, are people who've known me, stretching clear back into the 1970s, who share our vision, share our idea of mission, and just want to support it. We didn't have major formal functions or anything. We just started with a little newsletter that went to a couple hundred people, and little by little that grew you know, to thousands and then more thousands. And we eventually were able to produce some videos, and we launched a website, started posting articles on that. And then because of the various different people who'd taken part in that meeting back in 1999, I had contacts with people who could write articles for us on different issues as they arose in the news. So I would contact somebody and say, hey, we need an article that addresses addresses the problem of, say, ocean acidification from a scientific standpoint, or we need an article that addressed fears of overpopulation, things of that sort. And folks would write these articles. Thank God they were willing to do it for nothing, uh, just as volunteers. And then my uh, background as a journalist and also having been a, a book editor for a number of different publishing houses, I would edit and then I'd submit them to various publications, and sometimes they'd be published and sometimes they wouldn't, but bit by bit we grew. Those in turn led to various Christian talk show hosts contacting us and saying, hey, we need somebody to discuss such and such a topic. And we'd say, okay, well, I can put you in touch with so-and-so. That's that's kind of the way we grew, sort of topsy-turvy. It was not a well-planned thing, but I think really at the root of all of it was the blessing of God. So um, let's back up a little bit, actually. How did you, Cal, get involved in environmental stewardship and what led you to have a passion for caring for the poor? Well, I can say from the start that it wasn't something that I thought about an awful lot until my early 20s. But there is a way in which I can see that God prepared it for me, or prepared me for it, rather, uh, very early in life. When I was just a toddler, my family moved from the United States to Calcutta, India, where my father was working with the uh, United States State Department. And shortly after we got there, my mother became paralyzed. Now, my father was on a one-year appointment, and he couldn't just <laughs> quit and go back to the States. And so, uh, because my mother couldn't take care of me, I was farmed out every day to an Indian family. And my ayah, or nurse, would arrive early in the morning, take me by the hand. And as we went through the courtyard of the apartment building in which we lived, I remember a very, very strong picture memories in my mind that I've had ever since then of a huge green tree. Now, of course, I was I was a toddler, so it may not have been all that big, really, but to me, it was immense. I saw this huge green tree, and it had a vine hanging out of it, and all over this vine, there were red flowers, just beautiful red flowers. And then beyond that, the blue sky and, and uh, the sun, even early morning. And then we walked out of the courtyard onto the streets and we walked, I don't know how many blocks, but 
You know, it was some distance. And all along the way, I was stepping over the bodies of people who had died overnight of starvation or disease or both. Now, I was way too young to think these things through at that time. But later, when I became a Christian in middle school, and then when I began sharing my Christian faith with many other people through high school and college, I began encountering objections to the Christian faith. And every time I'd encounter an objection, I'd go to a Christian bookstore and find something that would help me to answer that. And that led to my reading a lot of Bible commentaries and theology and church history and apologetics and uh, you name it. The focus of my life for high school years, college years, early post-college was essentially on two things, personal one-to-one evangelism and then apologetics, reasons for faith to serve that personal one-to-one evangelism. And I really didn't see much else to the Christian life. But one day, I was uh, I was meeting weekly for breakfast and prayer and discussion with a pastor friend. And one day, he showed up and showed me a book on Christians' responsibility toward the poor. And he said, you should read this. It'll change your life. And I had no interest. I, you know, It had never dawned on me that the Bible talked about that. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it's there. It's plain enough. But I didn't really have any interest. I didn't want to read it. But he kept pressuring me. He shamed me into it. And I finally did read it. And indeed, it changed my life, but not quite the way he anticipated. See, as an undergrad in college, I had studied a lot of philosophy and logic. And I had also for years been reading Bible commentaries and theology and the like. So I knew biblical interpretation pretty well. I knew the, the rules of biblical interpretation. I knew logic from studying philosophy. And I thought to myself as I read this book, gee, this doesn't really seem to me to be very sound in its handling of the Bible. And goodness, a lot of these arguments don't look very logically sound to me. And so if we were to all embrace this fellow's thinking about how we help the poor, would that really be a good thing? Well, I wouldn't know because I didn't know anything about economics, but he was writing about economics. So I did what I was accustomed to doing. I encounter a problem that I don't know how to solve, and I go to a store, a bookstore, and I buy a bunch of books, and I read them. And I did that, and I finally decided, yeah, this fellow's understanding of economics is, I think, actually counterproductive. And so I studied more. And through a variety of different things, that led to my becoming acquainted with uh, Dr. Marvin Olasky. Uh, who at the time was a professor of journalism at the University of Texas at Austin, and uh, Dr. Herb Schlossberg, author of the marvelous book, Idols for Destruction. And they were editing a series of books on the biblical worldview for Crossway Books. And they said, Cal, would you, would you write an introduction to economics from a biblical worldview, theology, and ethics perspective? for our series. And ultimately, I agreed to do that. I didn't really feel terribly well qualified, but they said, no, we, we've seen your, your, uh, your work. We've, we've spent a lot of time with you in meetings of the Coalition on Revival, an organization that we were involved with. And they said, we think you will do well. So I gave it a try. Well, um, that became my book, Prosperity and Poverty, The Compassionate Use of Resources in a World of Scarcity. Uh, that was published in 1988, part of the the Turning Point Christian Worldview series. And one chapter of that was supposed to be about population, resources, and the environment. 
But as I worked on that, I realized that could not be done in one chapter. And so I told them so, and I said, we'll just have to leave that out. And they said, no, instead, write a whole book just on that. Well, that became my book, Prospects for Growth, A Biblical View of Population Resources in the Future, published in 1990, part of the same series. And through those two books and a variety of articles that I wrote for World Magazine and other publications, I just sort of got the reputation of somebody who thinks about these things. And I started being invited to speak for colleges and universities and churches and conferences and the like to take part in uh, scholarly discussions like the one at West Cornwall, Connecticut. And uh, it kind of all went from there. But what I realized after about five or six years into this was that God had prepared me for all of this with those experiences as a little child. Uh, By the way, I should mention that about six months after she was paralyzed, my mother recovered. Nobody ever knew why or how, but it happened. My father had prayed early in her paralysis, God, you can take my son, just please give me back my wife, by which he meant, you know, my son can die. Uh, which was a rather (laughs) remarkable thing for him to say. And later we all realized he did take his son. God did take my dad's son, but not to death, but to a life of ministry of various sorts. What I realized was that in those two sorts of memory from my toddlerhood, the beautiful green tree with the vine and the red flowers, and then the dead bodies, was that God had prepared me to devote much of my life to simultaneously promoting biblical earth stewardship, taking good care of this beautiful kind of creation that God has given us, and economic development for the very poor, and bringing those two things together, which I think is a very important thing because a great deal of the environmental movement has tended to see those two things as options. Either you have economic development or you have a good, uh, strong, healthy, beautiful, fruitful environment, but you can't have both. And I'm convinced that we not only can have both, both, but that we must have both. And in fact, that we can't have either one without the other. And so that's the kind of thinking discussed at West Cornwall, Connecticut, that really lies at the root of the Cornwall Alliance. So going forward, where do you see Cornwall's mission and goals lie, and where do you see Cornwall headed? Well, our our aim as a network of uh, just under 70 scholars at this point, about a third are natural scientists uh, specializing in various aspects of science that are related to environment. Uh, About a third are economists, mostly either environmental or developmental economists, and about a third are theologians and philosophers and ethicists. Our, Our network has as its mission to educate the public and policymakers about three things uh, simultaneously and intertwined with each other. Biblical earth stewardship, by which we mean fulfilling the mandate God gave us in Genesis 1.28, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And second, economic development for the very poor. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said that he had at one point uh, met with the elders in Jerusalem 
and they had asked him to do just one to, to remember just one thing the poor and he said that's what i'm intent on doing and so we want to put those two things together but we want to put them together with the biblical worldview theology and ethics and especially the gospel the good news of uh, salvation for sinners like me uh, by God's grace, absolutely undeserved by me, through faith, a gift from God in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross to atone for my sins, in his resurrection, uh, showing the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice. When we put these things together, the reconciliation with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ enables us to begin thinking God's thoughts after him, to understand the world the way he intended it to be understood, and to use it the way he intended it to be used. So, our understanding of dominion, for instance, is not a domineering, abusive, exploitative, wasting sort of uh, use. But instead, it's it's really based on God's own dominion shown in the earlier verses of Genesis 1. God started with nothing. He made everything. He brought light out of darkness, order out of chaos, greater order out of lesser order, life out of non-life, great variety of life. And he told each variety of life to be fruitful and multiply and fill its sphere in the earth. And so, for us to exercise dominion in a godly way, uh, means for men and women to work lovingly together to enhance the fruitfulness and the beauty and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and to the benefit of our neighbors so that we're addressing the two great commandments to love God and to love neighbor. So ultimately, we're trying to put the dominion mandate of Genesis 1, 28, together with the great commission of Matthew 28, uh, 19 through 20, where Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. So to whom is the Cornwall Alliance focused? Is it just for theologians, scientists, economists, or can lay people get involved? And if so, how can they get involved? Oh, absolutely, lay people can get involved. Uh, you know, first, of course, they're, go they're going to want to know more about what we think. I would hope that they wouldn't just jump in and say, yeah, I want to get involved here, but they haven't really thought us through very well. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast what is good. So I would invite people to, to do some testing of us. Visit our website under the, the tab landmark documents, read our statement of faith, read the Cornwall Declaration on Environmental Stewardship, which you and I will be discussing in some future programs on, on the podcast here. Read the, uh, we have a document on biblical foundations or biblical principles for environmental stewardship, a number of other documents there. So get acquainted. And then if you would like to sort of join in the work for one thing, tell other people about it. For another, you might talk with the leaders of your church, or if you are a pastor or an elder, you might yourself take steps toward having us come and speak for your church or for a school, for some other organization. We're glad to do that. We can provide speakers on a variety of different topics. And, you know, tell, tell your friends about us as well. We have, as well as the website at cornwallalliance.org, 
We have a YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and then search out Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Use the whole name because there's another organization in England called Cornwall Alliance related to the area called Cornwall in England, but a totally different organization. Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. On YouTube, we have a lot of different videos there. They're highly educational. You can share those with others. And uh, we also have a Facebook page and we post videos there. We post news there. We, we have uh, articles published all over. Uh, simply to pass the word on to other people is, is a great way to participate. And then some people might actually want to, if they have skills in science or economics or theology and ethics, they might want to begin writing for us. You can see a list of the various different people in our network under the About tab on our website called Who We Are. And that lists the just under 70 people who are involved now. And if you're interested in getting involved, email us, stewards at cornwallalliance.org, stewards at cornwallalliance.org, and express your interest in getting involved and give us some idea of the, the things that you would want to do as uh, a contribution to this work. And we'll start getting acquainted and see where the Lord leads. Thank you, Cal. You've been listening to Created to Reign, a podcast of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Come and learn more about us at cornwallalliance.org. Thank you, and God bless.